Jesus. We give you praise, God. You are worthy of all praise. You are worthy of all praise. Hallelujah. Turn to somebody and say, it's Gratitude Sunday. It's not Black Friday. I am speaking on what I'm speaking on because I want to be countercultural. And I'm going to speak about how we need to be different people, particularly as we go into this season. Our season is going to be called a spiritual Christmas as opposed to a family Christmas, a commercial Christmas, a quiet Christmas. Christmas is just for the kids. I thought Christmas was about Jesus coming. And so we want to speak today. I want to share with you a message about gratitude. If you've got a Bible, turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. And um, because gratitude is an action attitude. And in a sense today, I do want to speak counterculturally to what you are uh, stuffed in, in your psyche all the time. More, 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 more. And, and yet, as Christians, sometimes we get this poor mentality that isn't right either. Let's try and strike a balance today. Gratitude is an action attitude. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 9 says this. And this, this, this verse actually reminds me of KT. You have been so kind to Kathy and I, and, and we've been so impressed with you as we've come. Um, but since you excel in everything, and I think we excel in just like there's lots of things, isn't there? In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we've kindled in you. That's certainly been our experience. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, I'm not commanding you, and you should never be commanded to give. Okay? I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Now, here you have in the Bible, Paul saying, I'm testing you by comparing you. And how many sermons have you heard that you shouldn't compare yourself to others? But Paul actually says, I want to see if what you say stacks up. Wow. For you know... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Gratitude is the foundation of generosity. That when we're grateful people, when we, when we say how much we appreciate the Lord, generosity begins to flow from us. It flows from us easily. What an amazing thankfulness service we had on Wednesday night. Thank you so much. It was so heartwarming for me and Kathy to see you bring your groceries forward so that we could bless the community. Thank you so much. And thank you for the way that you have been giving. The, the whole area of giving and gratitude and generosity can be so difficult in many churches because we're all coming from such different places. But here's the key thing that the scripture, this is the first teaching point. Today is kind of a teaching sermon, but here's a really key thing. In the scripture, it is never about the, about the amounts given. It's always about the attitude in which it was given. Can you just let that sit in your spirit? It's never about the amount giving. And Jesus, Jesus looked at a widow. She gave everything she had. It wasn't about the amount. It was about the attitude that it was given. Now, let's not disqualify ourselves from being grateful, even though we might have a tough situation right now, and we understand that. Let's not disqualify ourselves from being grateful because it doesn't matter how much money you've got, Jesus still saved you, didn't he? We're going to still be grateful, can't we? Let's not be disqualify ourselves from being grateful and thinking that we can't be generous in any sort of way, in the way that God wants us to be generous because we don't class ourselves as rich. You, you might know this, but if you have an income of £10,000 a year, that puts you in the top 12% of everybody on earth as an earner. That means you're in the top 
12% of everybody, 7 billion people on earth, if you earn around 10,000 pounds a, a, a year. If you earn 20,000 pounds per year, you are in the top 1.8% of everybody in, on the earth. Uh, uh, and which I know we all have different standards of living, but I think we all need to begin to think, well, uh, whatever kind of modest income we're on, we're still far greater than many people have, perhaps all over the world. And I know many of you are supporting people back home, and, and God bless you for that. Giving to get is a heart condition. It's not a theology, it's a heart condition. If you only give to get, that's a heart condition. Your heart follows where your treasure is. So if your treasure is in, is in education, that's where your heart is. If your treasure is in your career, that's where your heart is. The Bible clearly teaches, in fact, it's Jesus himself. Let's, let's read it. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 and 21. Do not store up for yourself, but excuse me, but do store up for yourself Treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there's your heart. That's where your heart is. So whatever you value and what you think is the most treasured thing in your life, that's where your heart is. So if your heart is in the things of heaven and in Jesus, that's, uh, your treasure is there, that's where your heart is. You know, there was a man one time that he, he, was, he had lots of gold. He had a great gold collection. You know, he loved his gold coins. He got his gold bars. He, did, he spent all his life building up this gold collection. And, um, you know, he said to the Lord, he said, you know, he became a Christian. He said to the Lord, oh, Lord, I just, you know, I've built up my gold collection. I just want to take it to heaven with me. And, and the Lord said, we don't, we don't let you bring anything. You know, naked you came into the world, naked you'll go out of the world, and all of that stuff. And, and he said, no, no, Lord, can I just not take my gold? Take, let, me, let me take my gold. I've taken my... And the Lord said, oh, come on, then. You can just bring it with you. Put it in a bag and bring it with you. It's a true story, this, by the way. <laughs> you know, bring, it, you know, bring it with you. So he gets to the, you know, gets to the gates of heaven and... And St. Peter's there at the gates. You know, as you can tell, this is great theology as well. And, um, you know, and Peter says, well, what have you got in the back? He says, oh, I've got my gold collection. I bought my gold collection. The Lord let me bring it. He was so impressed with it. And so Peter opens it up. He says, well, we need to check it. You know, we don't want anything else coming in here. There might be some, you know, check. We don't want stuff coming into heaven. So he opens up his gold collection. He goes, Peter says, you bought pavement with you. You bought tarmac, because we only use this for pavement here. Why have you bought pavement? We walk on this stuff. You see, the values of heaven are completely different. You see, Beverly Hills, 9012345, whatever that postcode is, <laughs> it's going to be nothing to heaven. And you've got to put your treasures there. Holding back what you should give, that's not, that's not a mistake. That's a heart issue. How, how are you going to protect your heart from these things in this particular culture that is, is, is pressing on us to be a certain way? You see, first thing is that gratitude comes from love. Th think, about, think about Jesus. Jesus gave everything from love. And gratitude comes from love. It comes from a sense of that. Re read the most famous uh, Bible verse with me. Come on, let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Wow, you read like that as if that was the most important. <laughs> God so loved the world that he gave. Giving gratitude comes from love. Do you remember I was preaching on Wednesday about the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me moment? When Jesus cries out that after an eternity of knowing what it felt like to know the presence of God, for that moment, he can't feel God, see God, hear God. And for the, he's completely cut off from God. He did that for you. He gave up his riches so that you could have them.
the riches of God's pleasure. Remember that God's the creator and that actually it it protects our heart when we do that. Psalm 24 verse 1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, it's the Lord's, the world and all who live in it. Beverly Hills, Hollywood, Notting Hill, Whitehall, Kensington Palace. It's not yours, Will and Kate. It's the Lord's. Everything in it. Now, this is the point. I'll come back to this later. God has never relinquished ownership of this world. He's never given it up. It's his. Hold on to that thought. I'll come back to it in a minute. Another thing that, as well as seeing God as creator and he owns the earth, that protects our heart, another thing is, is that God's my provider, not me. You're not your provider. God's your provider. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18 says it this way. But remember the Lord, your God, for he is the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors today. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says this, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You'll be able to have a good work where you can share with others. But understand, God is your provider. He's going to provide for you. And and we're going to figure some ways in a moment of, well, how does God provide for me then? I wonder if you could watch the screen. Now, if you're not on our email, I sent out a film just as a a kind of precursor to this message today. And you may have watched the long version. I'm going to show you you the short version of a film called The Bowl Full of Rice. I just want to try and birth in your heart that you have something to give. Why don't you just watch the screen just for a moment and we'll watch. There are many ways of serving the Lord. Some people do great things. Some people are good preachers. Some people contribute lots and lots of money. But when we talk about this handful of rice, it is very humble the service is done in the corner of the kitchen that nobody sees. But God knows. God bless. Every day, simple women in the state of Mizoram in northeast India are spearheading a revolution that is sweeping the world of missions. Their movement, Bufai Thang, or a handful of rice. Wufai Tang is a practice where each Mizo family puts aside a handful of rice every time they cook a meal and later gather it and offer to the church. The church in turn sells the rice and generates income to support its work. Rice has been the staple food of the people of Mizoram, the main life of the people. You are giving what is basic, essential, fundamental to your life. You are sharing that with God. This concept of Bufai Tam became so popular throughout Mizoram over the years that giving was not limited to some individuals. The whole of Mizoram, rich or poor, young or old, everybody contributed to it. It is something which my mother has taught all of us right from when we were very young. And I feel like Bufai Tam is a piece of Christian service that anyone can do it. Mizoram state is the most backward state in India and we are the poorest of the, of the poor but still we can raise funds for the ministry of the Lord we can support 1800 mission workers and in the meantime 
we can also send overseas missionaries. There have been times when some churches have thought that we need to get blessings from God. And the attitude has, to, has been, what can we get when we become part of the church? But here, the handful of rice offering inspires us that God has called us to share what we have with God for God's ministry. We Mizou people say, as long as we have something to eat every day, we have something to give to God every day. You get the concept? Every time they cook a meal, they just take a handful of rice, put it aside. And at the end of the week, they take it to the church, the church savings to sell it so that they can support the work of the church. Isn't that amazing? Just in the corner of their kitchen, they're just quietly doing that. When you have that beans on toast tonight, just cut a corner off, put it on a side plate, and think, wow. You see, lots of people think, oh, the church shouldn't be talking about money. But actually, there are many things to say of how we handle our resources because it's so much part of our lives that culturally, unless we talk about it, we're going to get swept along into something where we don't want to be. We actually don't want to be there. In fact, the scripture, as you may know, talks uh, has 2,350 verses that talk about resources. It's not a small subject at all about how we handle our money. For Jesus, the handling of our money was very stark. He said, you can't serve God and mammon. And one of the things is, mammon was the Syrian god of materialism. And Jesus didn't give us any options. If we weren't using our resources and placing treasure to God, by default, we might be serving mammon. We don't mean to, and it's something that we would be horrified if we thought we were, but without thinking about it, we could be. We need to, we could talk many things, but I want to limit ourselves today to three key understandings. These understandings are like train tracks. They are, they're held in tension. If you hold them in parallel in your life, it will take you somewhere important uh, uh, concerning your attitudes to resources. Number one, we have to develop, on the one hand, something called stewardship, and on the other hand, generosity. Stewardship and generosity are is a train track that will take you in a good direction. Now, some people, some, some Christians are good stewards. Now, a steward is, is not just somebody who comes around and collects the offering, okay? Steward is, in the scripture, a manager who isn't the owner. And this is a key understanding about being a steward you are not the owner of the things that you have. Now, you need legal papers to have things, but you are managing it on behalf of God. You're the owner of the things God, you're not the owner of the things God has given you. You're the manager of it, and you are looking after it for his kingdom purposes. Even you are not your own. You ever read that? Even you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Doesn't the scripture say that? God has never relinquished the ownership of this world and everyone in it. But we are entrusted to look after some things for him and to honor him with it. That means we can't go to Kensington Palace and say, this is God's, I'm having it. No, we are looking after our patch for him. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2 says, Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. You know, it's great being a pastor of a church and it's so delightful to have Pastor Gordon, Ellen, Alan and Heather, his wife in church today from our Edinburgh church. And I've said that and we're online. If your church don't know you're away, I'm sorry, bro, we've, we've exposed you. 
But uh, as you will know, Gordon, people sit in the same place, don't they, every week. So you can actually tell who's here and who's there. I know Karen sits over there. I know Sir Alex sits over there. You guys have moved. You were over there that's last week. Well, anyway, that's a... But um, there was a guy one time that said to the pastor, and he said, um, I've sat in this place for 30 years. And that's fine. I'm glad that people feel like a belonging and it's like being a family, isn't it? You know, you've got your chair and that's fine. But do you know this? You're looking after that chair for somebody. You're a steward of that chair. And what your prayer should be, God, fill my chair with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. May it never be the day that you get to your chair and you say, what are you doing in my chair? Well, actually, I'm seeking the Lord. We're just stewarding things. We're just looking after things for God. And generosity, on the other hand, is that we, uh, it's something that we develop out of the love of our hearts for people and for God. It actually reflects God's character. It's our reflection of him. You know, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You can give something and say, here you are, have it. But you can't love without giving. Deuteronomy 15.10 says, Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. First train track is develop stewardship. I'm looking after this. I'm managing this for you, God. Generosity, from the love of my heart, I feel I want to bless you. Hey, let's try a little bit of generosity right now. Why don't you turn to your neighbour and say, be encouraged in the Lord, you can do it. Go on, do it. Just do that. Be encouraged in the Lord, you can do it. Hey, I know I gave you the words. And most of you joined in. There were a few of you who were thinking, oh, I don't know nothing. But don't you feel better? Didn't that make you feel good? To encourage somebody and be generous to somebody with your words? The second train track is this. We have to develop, that we have to look after ourselves and our families. That's really biblical. But in the same time, we have to develop uh, the way of reaching out to others and giving to other people and the church. So, you see, God, God wants you to look after yourself. That's responsible. In fact, he teaches that. But at the same time, you have to be able to say, I, I need to overflow to others and the church. It's a train track. You see, God knows exactly what you need and he, he loves the, he, he wants to give you what you need and he, he wants you to care for you and give you things for your enjoyment. God loves your fashion sense. He looks down on you and he says, I love that you love that. I wouldn't wear it, but I love that you love that. He gives things for your enjoyment. You're saying, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, let's turn to the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus himself taught this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 says this. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. But your heavenly Father, he knows you need them. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things... Food, clothes, what you're going to eat, they'll be added to you as well. Your God knows you need things. He's not worried about if you want a new uh, tank top or a new set of trainers or what have you. He knows that you need them. Although with some trainers, you might not need them. But anyway, that's another subject. Paul said to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's what the Bible says. He wants you to enjoy what God gives you. There's some Christians, they say, oh no, we just got to get by. We just got to squeak by. But God wants to give you things for your enjoyment. 
I tell you what, I am loving my new leaf blower vacuum mulcher. I'm loving it. I preached about it last week. It got a great sermon illustration. The other day, I was mulching up and hoovering my leaves. A lady walks past and I said, God bless you. Oh, it's a bit of an endless task, this. You know what she said? Yeah, one doesn't know the point, really. I'm thinking, look at you, I'm enjoying myself. (laughs) Aren't there always people like that, though? You're doing your best and sucking up your issues and always somebody comes by and says, oh, what's the point? You know what I did with my leaf vacuum mulcher? I went over to my neighbor's house and I hoovered up some of their leaves. I was able to share my enjoyment of what God had given me. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, give God a clap offering for a leaf mulcher. You see, this is what the scripture says. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. In this day, they will lay up themselves treasure in heaven. You're sending it on ahead. And for them, you're making a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life, which is truly life. Not this Black Friday, just stuff, that God-shaped hole with things that you don't need. That's not life. Not Christmas, hey, unless you have that perfect tinsel around your tree. That's not life. Now, I'm not saying if you enjoy that, do it, do it. But we do things so that we can share with others. And God knows what you need. I'm loving my leaf mulcher. It's great. But one of the reasons he's given us our resources is so that we can learn to help others as a reflection of love. Let me take you back to Leviticus. Now, it's important this, because in Leviticus 19, verse 9, it says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, this is your land, this is your harvest. I want you to reap that harvest, says the Lord. Do not reap to the very edges of your field so that you gather the gleanings of your harvest. Don't do that. Don't go right to the very end of your resources so tight that nobody else could get a look in. Don't do that. In fact, he goes on and says, do not go over your vineyard. The Lord's fine with you having a vineyard. He's fine with you having that wine and growing it. And he's fine with you uh, distilling it and selling it and making a profit. Don't, Don't worry about that. That's your vineyard. But don't go over it a second time. Pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave some for the poor. Live in a margin so that you can share. For the poor and the foreigner of the land, I am the Lord your God. You see... You have to live in a margin and you have to be able to say, God, you're looking after me, but I also want to bless others. It's a train track that gets you in the right direction. You know this. How many of you are Pentecostals? How many of you believe in the day of Pentecost was a good thing? Okay, seven of you, okay? I thought I was in a Pentecostal church. I don't want to say anything about any other denomination right now because we're online. How many of you believe in Pentecost? Okay, most of you. This is what the Bible says. As the Spirit comes, there's something that happens in people's finances. You see, they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We love that bit. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Amen. We love that bit. Woo, miracles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, sold their property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Sometimes we don't get excited about that bit. And every day they continue to meet in the temple courts. Woo, we all went to church and we all and we get excited about that bit. When the spirit comes down, people get generous. That's just a fact. 
I'm teaching you some train tracks today. The first one is be a steward, but then let the love in your heart flow over to generosity. The second one is simply God will look after you, but also your responsibility is to look after others and to give. Third train track. We have to develop a habit of living on a budget and at the same time have the faith to release. There are some Christians that are really good with budgeting. Oh man, every penny is accounted for. It's going there, it's going there, it's going there. And most of us, when we see budgeting, we think limit. A budget is not a limiter. It's a map to show you where your money's going. It's a roadmap to say, this is where this is going. It's not, you can't do this, you can't do this. It's a, hey, if we put that over there, then we can do that over there. Don't see a budget as a limiter, see a budget as a pathway to help you to do what you want to do. You know, if you don't live on a budget, you're probably wasting 25%. I said 25%, that's one quarter of everything you get. Some people say, oh, I don't need to live on a budget. Let me just follow you through your week and see how much you don't know you're sending out the door. 25% of what you get, you're wasting. Or at least you don't know where it's going. But at the same time as living on a budget, we need to be able to have the faith to give, to release, to open our hand. God says, put me first and I'll look after you. Matthew 6 verse 30 says, don't worry about what your clothes will be. O ye of little faith. You see, the issue of giving always involves faith. Because some of you might have your budget wrapped up and God says, you know what? I know you're budgeting there, but have some faith about this. But seek first the kingdom, Jesus teaches. You see, we have to believe that God will honour his word and, and not just say, yeah, I believe it, but believe it in such a way that it allows our actions to reflect our belief. God's financial system is completely different to others. You have to begin to trust it and begin to say, well, where the rubber meets the road, where the coins hit the wallet, this is where I need to believe. See, here's the thing, and with this I'm going to kind of wrap up. We have to begin to start understanding what, what the Bible says is the principle of the first. In Exodus 13, you read it for yourself later on, make a note of it. In Exodus 13, it says every time there's a, a firstborn born in your family, redeem it with, with a lamb. And, and every time you have a cattle or anything, redeem it with a lamb. Every, the first of everything has to be given over to me so that it redeems the rest. In fact, it says, if you don't redeem your donkey, break its neck. And it seems really cruel, but you see, God's establishing something where he says, if you give me the first, I will redeem the rest. And, and as you understand it, you see, you've got to see it. It goes through all scripture. God says, give me the Sabbath. There's some really hardworking people in this place. I can tell. Bless you. You haven't taken a Sabbath for a while. And some of you would never dream of committing adultery, but you break the commandment of never taking the Sabbath. Ouch. You see, you've got to give God the first of his time. You've got to give him his time. And that's why Sunday is the first day of the week. We're giving him this time now. God says, give me, give me the first of your affection. And that's what worship is. When we sing, we're praying. He says, give me the first of your affection. He says, give me the first of your money. And that's what a tithe is. See, because this is the principle when you give the first, it redeems the rest. 
And I'll teach deeply, more, more deeply into this uh, as we go on. But when you make time, money, affections, and you put God first in those areas, he redeems all the rest. Some of you are really busy people, and you know, to come out to church, it's a real sacrifice, but as you do that, he redeems the rest of your time. How many of you have had this experience so you didn't feel like coming to church because you got so much work to do, but you came to church and then you felt like all your work went better? Because God redeems the times. In fact, that's a phrase in the Bible. God gave his first and only son. Why did he do that? To redeem all of his other sons and daughters. He gave us the first so that he could then redeem the rest. You have to understand the principle of the first. So the first 10% of your money, it's not yours. It's his. You have to return it back to him, and he redeems the other. You need to be reflective about the way that we use our resources. I call them the four T's about stewardship. Our time, our talents, our testimony, and our treasure. Those four things in our life, God wants us to be a steward over them and be faithful in all of them. Let's be grateful for everything that God's given us. Wow, when I look at this worship team, you know, when I come up and do a little bit of singing with them, you know, I'm thinking, give me a bit of overflow, Lord. If you hear me singing online, I that sound terrible. Isn't it great that some people have got great talent? You've got talents too. God's given you that. He's given you those talents. You've got to steward them. He's given you time. He's given you some resources, some money. If you steward them with our financial resources at this time of year, let me speak into this cultural moment. I hate that it's called Black Friday because I don't think the word black should be associated with it. I hate it. If you know my thoughts about racism and things, I just can't stand that we associate that together with waste and commercialism. Because my experience of black people is hardworking, good people. With our financial resources at this time of the year, we need to understand that we need to commit what we do. That we actually, in our giving, that we need to understand that we're merely passing on what God has given to us. We didn't own it, we're passing it on. So our giving isn't that we're emotionally giving something away that belonged to us in the first place. It didn't belong to us. We were just stewarding it for him. In our saving, don't let's, yeah, I said the word saving. In our saving, don't let's be motivated, motivated by fear that, oh God, I need to protect myself from something terrible in the future. No. In our saving, let's start saving something so that we can have a future that God wants. I've designed a little 52-week saving plan, by the way. You can pick it up at reception or you can download it from our website. And what it is, is on the first week, you only save a pound. Anybody could do that. Second week, you save two pounds. Third week, you save three pounds. And you go on like that. If you did that for the whole year at Christmas, some of you are thinking, in 52 weeks, I'm going to have to save 52 pounds a week. But if you did that for a whole year, you can have a great Christmas next year that you never even thought you could have. You can pick it up at reception. You see, our savings not about fear. It's about, God, I have a future in you. In our spending, I just wonder if sometimes it's impulsive, competitive, reactionary, or it's in, is it independent? Or is it reflective of what God has for me? in your presence 
again and just worship the Lord right now. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to
caught up in your presence I just want to be here by your feet caught up in this holy moment I never want to leave oh I'm not here for blessing Jesus you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do I just want you yes I just want you oh we worship you Jesus nothing else nothing else nothing else will do Oh, Lord, I just want you, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. Just tell him right now, I just want you, nothing, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do.